Blog Talk Radio. It's 
this is true, and we are global, which which obviously we we are right now because we're all over the place, and that's great. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, about the book. I got to say I loved it first of all. Um, oh, thank I used you very to read much. the pocketbooks in, in the early '90s, and I stopped reading the pocketbooks because they just started getting off on on in tangents and going in places that I wasn't really interested in going. Eric and Charles, my other two co-hosts started reading your Star Trek Picard book that came out before the series. And that was our mm. first book nook. And they were telling me how great your book was and how awesome your book was. And we did a whole show on it on a book that I didn't read. And uh, <laughs> they got me, <laughs> they, uh, they got me into discovery books. And I have to say one thing, every, we've read the first three guys. Is it three that we read or four? I think hers is the four. Three. Yeah, four? Well, okay. they, they did three and then mine, I think. They did mine um, yeah. alongside season two, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we've read four, and every single book that I have read from Star Trek Discovery, especially yours, feels to me like it could easily be an episode of the show. Um, oh, good. I'm, the, I'm the glad characters, to hear that. Uh, the, the characters are, are, and the stories and are just I mean, when I'm reading the book, I'm reading it in the voices of the characters, and they're totally yes. believable. Your book in particular, there was one scene. Oh, by the way, I actually went out and bought Picard <laughs> after reading this book and <laughs> loving it so much. Um, well, and hearing what if, Eric and if Charles you said about it, it. That's the main thing. <laughs> it's the so, buying it. I went out and got it, and uh, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to even crack it open before this podcast to ask you anything oh. about it. So I'll have to rely on Eric and Charles, but that's next on my list. <laughs> well, we'll but, keep discussion spoiler free, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I. I I do want to say there was one scene in particular. I loved what you did with Tilly and I loved how you filled in her backstory. And one of the things I loved the most about it is how you book, you book, you fit it right in there between a conversation that Michael Burnham and Tilly would have had in between an episode that happened on the show. And I just loved the way you did that because I could see, I could so easily see Michael and Tilly having that conversation in their cabin the day before her, her big exam. And I, I love the way you put that right in there. I, it just pulled me right into the show. Good. I'm really glad about that. I think that. we felt we needed to connect it to the show in some way. And also I really enjoyed the idea that you would kind of read the introduction and then you would get that sort of, you know, that flashback thing where it goes wibbly wobbly, wibbly wobbly, where you kind of have that feel and then, then the plot of the book would happen. Of course, it would tell, take her hours to uh, tell this stuff, but, the, but yeah, it had to anchor with the show in some way. I think. Did I was I was concerned when we started when we were awake. I'm like, how are they going to tell the backstory of Tilly and and pull me into the show? But you did a wonderful job. I mean, I just Good. I was pulled right into it from the start. And Thank one you. one scene that I wanted to ask you about in particular, um, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read the book yet, <laughs> there is a scene where. Tilly's father, when, when Tilly's on the starship and her father uh, beams down to the planet and is killed, well, we think he's killed in a rock slide. Mm-hmm. Um, they get sucked into the ground and they beam Tilly back up to the ship and, and she's upset and she goes to the captain and she's crying. And I was, I was sincerely, I, I was almost in tears reading that, that chapter because I really thought her father was dead because her father is a character we've never mm-hmm. seen. We don't know anything about mm-hmm. And I was so I was so involved emotionally with Tilly and her and what was going on with her that I could actually feel 
uh, her pain that you that you wrote in that particular scene. It was an incredible scene. It was wonderfully written, and I loved it so much. And um, thank you, thank just, you very much. <laughs> I just well, it's I wanted it's to not ask so you bad. <laughs> when you started writing something like this, how much guidance do you get from the producers and writers on that actually work on Discovery? And do they do they say like you know, do they give you information and say we want to expand on this or we don't want to touch on this or how do you how do you get it to fit so perfectly into what we see on the TV series? Well, we're really spoiled uh, Star Trek writers at the moment, those <laughs> who are doing the books. That we've got um, we've got one of our people uh, inside, Kirsten Beyer, who uh, uh, wrote a, a lot of the Voyager novels. Uh, is uh, is working on the shows now. She's a co-creator of Picard uh, and uh, has worked on Discovery. And um, one of Kirsten's uh, roles is to liaise with the people who are producing the the, the spin-off material, the tie-in material. Uh, so we work very closely with Kirsten. Kirsten knows her Star Trek, really, really does. She's quite brilliant. So uh, she knows both sides. She knows the shows uh, and scripting, but also she's been a writer of the books as well. Um, and then uh, she she sort of, I mean, what you always do with franchise fiction like this is that you, you're kind of given a rough brief. So uh, I think when they came to me, they said, we want Tilly's backstory. Uh, and I said, okay, let, all right, okay, let's let's do this. Uh, here, are, here are some ideas. What, what sort of age should we get her? So you're kind of firing emails to and from going, uh, uh, should we do this? And uh, people go, yeah, that sounds really good fun. Uh, let's try that. And then you just kind of, you keep working in and in and in. So you kind of got, come up with that. You've got that first one line, then you throw a few ideas about. Then I go off and write an outline, which could be anything from about 5,000 to, oh, sometimes maybe 9,000 words. And we, we tinker with that. And we, you know, we do a, a chapter breakdown. So the book feels really solid. Uh, and then you sort of you you once that's agreed you go off and write it. <laughs> so there's lots of input, and I think it's because uh, we've got someone who knows what it's like to write the books and what the books can add to the to the, the pleasure of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the same time, um, you know, we, you want to get it really right. We're all fans. We all love this show. We wouldn't you couldn't do it well if you didn't love it. So when they came to me and said we'd like you to do a discovery book. We want it to be Tilly. It was like, yes, please, immediately. I want to do that. She's amazing. So, um, mm-hmm. so you, they, they come, I think they get a sense of what your strengths are. And for me, writing Teenage Girl in Space is absolutely my jam. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they, they picked me very well there. <laughs> I, I can't stress how, how much I enjoyed this book. It was phenomenal. And, but, and I don't Thank want to hog up too much of the show. I, I want to let my other co-hosts ask you some questions. I just have one more thing I want to say before we move on and that is there's a scene in the book where Tilly is listening to classic music and she's listening to David Bowie and <laughs> yes. we, we all know that the scene from the show where Stamets drills into her head and he says why don't we sing a song and she sings that same song and that yeah. immediately brought me to that episode and I was like wow this just feels so so real to me well, we, we really, people are really paying attention and, uh, you know, we're really working hard to kind of connect it up and make it feel seamless. We're not, uh, we're, 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 it's, so it's really gratifying that things like that 
um, come through and that you, you, you know, people enjoy them and it feels deep and textured and real. That's really good to hear. Thank you. I want to see this as an episode. I want to see them Me film too. some of these books. <laughs> <laughs> so Eric, Eric is up in Buffalo, New York for some business and uh, I don't want to hog up too much time. So I'll let, I'll let Eric take the next question. Thanks, Jim. Uh, thanks, Una, for joining us on the show. Uh, yeah, there's so many great things I wanted to dig into in this book, but I think I'm going to start with um, Tilly's relationship with her mother. Um, mm. So this book really explores in detail how overbearing Siobhan is. And um, while, you know, Tilly's grandmother, Adele, uh, with whom she lives, is portrayed as a gentle, loving soul, who along with her partner, <laughs> Quinn, supports Tilly, uh, and we find out in the book that Adele also sent Siobhan off to Catholic school as a child to be educated. Mm-hmm. And it's insinuated that this is what drove Siobhan to be so rigid and constantly <laughs> right. So do you think Adele's support of Tilly is partially driven by the, the quote, you know, mistakes that she made as a mother and like almost out of guilt? Uh, that's a really interesting question. Um, it's it's interesting that you think of Adele as gentle because I think of her as quite quite stubborn. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. I think she gives as good as she gets with Siobhan. Um I think um, so. I, I'm I'm a mother of a daughter now, and I I I, uh, I find it a really interesting um, relationship to explore. Um, I think it's what I really didn't want this to do because it, it's just the sort of standard of, of, of a lot of books. I didn't want it to feel that uh, Siobhan was uh, a bad mother or, or a, diff, or a, or a, you know, a, a, a bad person. She's a very focused and dedicated and brilliant person. It, they've got mm-hmm. someone quite unique in Siobhan who's, you know, going to be, it's, it's really high up. I, I think we sort of said it was a bit like, having Hillary Clinton or someone as your mother or, mm-hmm. you know, really, a really um, powerful, important, intelligent, focused, dedicated person. Um, uh, but she, she makes missteps like, like every mother does. Uh, and because she's so busy, it means her schedule is very tight. Um, I think the other thing is that it, it's easier. My, my observation, I'm not, a, I'm not a grandparent yet, uh, but it's my observation is that grandparenting can be all the fun bits of parenting and, and none of the actual kind of having to draw boundaries and do all the miserable, <laughs> all the miserable Absolutely. stuff. So Adele has got it a little bit easier. Um, but I think that I, I, I mean, my, my heart is with, uh, to some extent is with, with Quinn in this because when the three of them are in a room together, because, you know, Tilly's stubborn in her own way. She's young at this point, but there's little bits of it. She's digging in, learning to dig in. And and I'm with Quinn. You, you know that that meme you see going around when Homer Simpson kind of backs into a hedge? That's kind of how I picture mm-hmm. Quinn sometimes when the three of them are at it. Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to hide here and read my Hornblower novels. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I did, uh, I, I, I didn't want Siobhan to be um, a villain. Uh, but I think she does. She does not always parent the child that she has, but the child that she sort of wishes he, she had. Um, so that's kind of how I'm reading it. Yeah. Absolutely, and I that so that that really came through in the book. I think, Good. and it's great that you mentioned Quinn too, because you know I feel like in the book Tilly's closest relationships are with her father Ian and with her adopted grandpa Quinn. Mm. Um, 
And so I see that in this book as kind of a flip of what we typically think about in society, where it's usually the the female or the mother that has the kind of intuition and the empathy and the caring and that sort of thing. In this book, mm. it's the men who have that towards Tilly. It's the one, they're the ones who actually understand her, um, which I think is yeah. great. And so, so I was wondering, can you talk more a little bit about your choice to make Ian and Quinn the main characters who really get her? Oh, that's, that's really, I'm not sure I'd uh, consciously realized that actually, uh, but I'm, I'm really pleased it works that way. Um, yeah, I think that they're, they're sort of they're they're, they're non-competitive. They're they're very good at the things they do. I mean, Ian is is absolutely brilliant in his own way. He's a, he's an archaeologist, isn't he? Um, he's just uh, you know he's not he's not going to be a federation councillor or a, he's not high powered uh, in a kind of public facing way. He's he's gifted and brilliant. He he has the scientific mind. And another thing I've I've observed as well is that. Um, uh, often daughters do take after they're actually very similar to their fathers yeah um they're, they're often they often look like their fathers or um uh have personality characteristics like their fathers so just observing my own daughter she's the spit of her dad she's she's exactly like him uh looks mm-hmm. like him sort of behaves like him she does have my expressions which is quite unnerving so <laughs> she's learned something off me but um uh and i and i think um uh, it, I think often maybe there's uh, perhaps there's a parent that you feel you're not in competition with, but the the one that's the the stricter one, the lawgiver, uh, one that's the one that's maybe the the yin to the yang or something, and it's actually quite a good um, it's actually quite a good combination. There are various other reasons why the situation isn't working. You know, they've 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 not really talked through the divorce and um, mm-hmm. they've not really. Ian has gone away, and so the balance has tipped. He's he's taken this career chance. Um, so they've made mistakes, uh, and and they are making mistakes. But they kind of they kind of get it to work, I think, by the end of the book. Tilly has to put her foot down, though. Mm-hmm, <laughs> quite, a she dramatic, does, and she, quite a dramatic way. <laughs> well, and it's great because I kind of feel like the entire book leads up to that moment where she puts her foot down, and I'll, I'll let some of the other hosts maybe talk about that some more, but. Um, to me, I, I love the arc of the book because Thank you. you see the mess that, uh, that Tilly thinks she's in because everybody has always told her that she's a mess, right? That she, <laughs> that she is the one that's causing the problems that are going on around. And, and as a result, uh, spoiler alert, she decides to run away. So, so th- yeah. this book, yeah. So this book is, um, is a runaway, you know, coming-of-age story, so to speak, um, and it gives us a lot of insight into what really makes Tilly tick when we see her on Discovery. So I'm really curious if you could discuss the concept of Tilly's found family a little bit with regards to mm-hmm. Sala and Captain Holden. Uh, it seems yeah. like working for Sala is a real turning point for her. Um, yeah. so I'm just really interested in this idea of it took found family for Tilly to be able to kind of figure out what she wanted to do. And I was wondering if you'd like to talk about that some more. That's really wonderful that you, that you say found family, because that's, that's always at the back of my mind. Um, when I'm, I, uh, most of the things I write, actually, I, I have that in mind. And I think it's because we, um, we don't always get what we need, uh, from family members. Um, and, and in a way we shouldn't really expect that. Uh, what, what teenage books to me are about, what's a, what the young adult story is about 
is about learning to be able to step beyond the family and to look outside um, for uh, uh, models for the way that you can live your life. And so what I wanted to give Tilly uh, in this book was a kind of a, a kind of set of mentors who who pass through her life and uh, show her different ways that she could think about leading her life. So she gets Sella. She has her teachers. Uh, her mother, of course, is, 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 you know, I think what she's learning is that she doesn't want to be her mother and, and isn't her mother. So she, she has a lot of fun with Sala, just, just tinkering, you know, uh, just, just fixing things. Uh, she then has the, um, the captain on Ian's ship, who I think is a, a really important figure for her because that shows her that, that, uh, that Starfleet isn't so bad. Uh, and then she mm-hmm. finds the sort of little gang of engineers who sort of sit down and, um, you know, play Dungeons and Dragons with her, and, and, <laughs> and don't mind don't mind making jokes about hitchhikers and that kind of thing. So she finds that I think particularly when you're a bit geeky. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I certainly did. When I was at my convent school at 16, and uh, or or 14, and going, hey, did anyone watch Doctor Who? And all these people kind of <laughs> looked at me, and I, <laughs> oh no, I'm not, not going to find that in a in a girls' convent school, am I? So. Um, so it yeah. took me a while to find, you know, the, the people who, who would go, yes, I did sit down and watch Doctor Who on Monday. What do you think of Sylvester McCoy? Oh, I think it's yeah. an interesting department. So, so we're all looking for these. We're looking for mentors. We're looking for peers. Um, and the family, the family won't give that. So it, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But the broader your experience of life is, the more you see possible ways that you can live your own life. So I'm really pleased you 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 felt found family and uh, yeah it was a really important part of the book and Starfleet does that um, for for many mm-hmm. you know what what else is the crew of the Enterprise but a found family uh, again and again mm-hmm. and again so um, so that's a great question thank you yeah absolutely and I really loved how diverse that found family was too I think you do a description of who the the engineering team is and there's like an Andorian and a human mm. and uh, an androgen of some type. So mm. yeah, it was, it was interesting because she, not only is she able to kind of break away from the rigidity and the mm. singularness, I guess, of her mom's vision of what her life should be, but it yeah. almost like explodes to an infinite amount, right? She's, she's like open yeah. to the world and she's open to all this diversity and she's open to people who understand what she's going through Sala yeah. actually ran away at exactly the same age, so she totally mm. gets her. So I appreciate the fact that there are so many people in your life that when um, when your family doesn't work out the way that you would have liked it to, that there's an entire community just waiting out there. You just have to find it. You, and you have to dig in and, and not get disheartened. And sometimes it doesn't work. Um, so the, the planet that she's on where she, she, they, they're threatening to deport her and she, she nearly makes a friend and then, mm-hmm. oh dear, the, the family all swan up, and um, you know it's and and she feels like she could have made it, but she doesn't get given that chance. And it turns out okay, but I think she regrets that 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 friendship wasn't given a chance or that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but so sometimes opportunities are missed, or you have to keep going mm-hmm. to find them. And um, it felt really important to put those people around her, give her peers give her people she could look at as, as role models and mentors and just help her find her way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, nice work. I also love this book. Thank I you. really, I commented to the guys after I read it. I said, um, 
I loved the first three books. They're very adventurous. They have a lot going on. There's a lot of phaser fire and that kind of stuff. I really appreciated the fact that this one was a, a sit-down, intimate read all about tight character relationships. So Thanks. Star Trek has gotten a little bit epic, uh, you know, in the Discovery years, which I think is great. I love it. But it's really the tiny little character developments that I've always loved about Star Trek, whether it's the original series or Next Generation. So nice work. And I'm actually going to hand the reins over to Charles thank here you. and give him a chance. I don't want to take up all the time. So thank you, Una. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, he's, Eric took a little bit of wind out of my question. But I'll throw in, I'm an audiobook person. And I'll go out and take my morning, my daily walk and start Stick an audiobook in my ear. I've been through five of the six start discovery books and the Picard books. And I just get lost in the books, just love of the story. And this one just was no, it was just like everything else. You just get lost in the story. Now before we talk about that, I'll throw one of your comments. Uh, I understand the fact of the Doctor Who reference because <laughs> I watched as a kid. I watched Tom Baker as a kid mm. on our local PBS station, and no, that's not something most kids were sitting there watching. But mm. I think Eccleston came in, and I think that made the corner of really bringing mm. a lot more Americans into Doctor Who. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And Matt Smith, I think, yeah. Yeah, I've I've been going straight from Eggleston just straight through, just loving Mm -hmm. what they've done with the new stuff. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, very good. Even the new Doctor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm crazy about her. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Loving her. I think my main question really was, where was your inspiration for the characters of Mom and Dad, which were such an odd couple? Just kind of wondered how you'd get parents such different uh, qualities of people on both sides for Tilly to kind of give her different directions to go to. Yeah. Um well, I th- I think that uh, as I recall, Sh- uh, Siobhan was was fairly well conceptualised. I, I um, so I was coming to they had a pretty good idea of of who her mother was, and so when you're when you're sort of given that sort of setup, and and I I think we knew we knew as well that her parents were divorced, so I kind of had that as a setup, and I thought well. Um, now I know who her mother is uh, and, and there's this sort of tension that she feels maybe she's not living up yeah. to what her mother wants what, what's the father going to be like what, what could the cause of the divorce have been uh, and um, so I thought well the, you know she, she's probably got her sort of curiosity uh, her focus and her drive come from both sides but that kind of scientific curiosity um, and scientific imagination um, where might she have got that from uh, and that sort of led me to Ian. Um, and then I kind of looked at her red hair and I thought, I'll make him Scottish. <laughs> so um, and, and that seemed to it. So then he, <laughs> then he just, I think sometimes when you're writing, a, a character just presents to you. And, and Ian presented very, very naturally. He just seemed to slip onto the page very 
you know, it just wants to mess around with his rocks and uh, have a quiet life and, and potter and watch a bit of bad television and, you know, eat some pizza and then go back to his studies and um, seems quite, and, and then he, he and then he's, he's partway through this PhD and, and this incredible woman walks into his life and he falls hook, you know, just can fall completely head into heel over heel and they just can't get it to work. He, they're not the right person. They love each other very, very much because they're both phenomenal people but they can't get that marriage to work because their goals are so different. Um, and it's, it's quite sad in a way, I think. Uh, I'm not sure Ian ever, ever remarries. Um, you know, I think he's just sort of, oof, uh, by, by Siobhan. It, it just, but they can't get that marriage to work. Um, but the, the sort of product of it is this great kid uh, who's, who's clever and unique and very much her own self and um, quite sensitive, a little bit fragile, but but very very smart, uh, and they you know they try and hold it together for this for this kid. So so Ian was a very just felt very natural. So did Adele and Quinn actually. I, I, I something just I think because Tilly feels so real, uh, it's very it's then very easy to imagine the people around her who would shape her, who she would be learning from, uh, where the tensions in her life are, and she's quite highly strung, and and that tends to come from. A difficult parent relationship you know you feel like you're never quite measuring up um so i thought well let's make ian a bit a bit more laid back um you know a little bit a little bit gentler that word uh, sort of came up um and um you know he's got a kind of pal in quinn who who likes him uh and, you know they they sort of understand the struggle um so he they were very natural people they just they just appeared on the page it, uh, it was very lucky it was it was, it was a it was a really easy book to write uh, i mean books are never easy to write because they take weeks and you're quite tired by the end of it but i really felt yeah. like these characters just 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 danced onto the page so um uh which i hope uh feels in the reading maybe that sort of ease of reading is um uh, it seems very a conversational book to me she's so much fun to write because uh, you see her on yeah. screen, she's just talking all the time, and you're just kind of <laughs> sitting there transcribing it. You go, okay, all right, slow down, Till. You know. <laughs> so. Well, and you really, uh, Una, you did a great job of picking up on that in your writing. I mean, I always found that when there were long passages that kind of described what was going on, it was full sentences, you know, very logical, kind of made sense. And then when you get Tilly's inside the head, it's like <laughs> three word sentences right after another, you know. <laughs> Yeah, lots of excuse me's, and I'd rather not. And also, um, one of the fun things of writing a book like this is when a character like that uh, is completely missing um, what's happening around her. So you know, she'll be. And how can these cups be left here? So when when her when her roommate's kind of has had enough uh, and moves out, until he's completely missed all the cues, which hopefully the reader is kind of going, oh, Tilly. Stop it! You know this is going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. It, it's that sort of she's just not seeing it happen, and, and your heart goes out to her um, making yeah. these mistakes. So, uh, so she was very natural, very natural to write. Um, ever so fond of her. <laughs> so I think a lot of people on the show. I think Tilly is the character that most people mm-hmm. on the show, uh, most fans, can associate with because she's. She's not your. She's not Michael Burnham, and she's not Saru. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's looking for herself, and she's trying to find her place. 
And I think mm-hmm. most of us can relate to her, especially the Mirror Universe version of her when she became <laughs> Captain Killy. <laughs> Just so, uh, so funny. One of my uh, favorite writers, uh, a science fiction fantasy writer called um, Lois McMaster Bujold, she says that if she's stuck, she tries to think, what's, what's the worst thing that I can do to this character? And, of course, that can be different from character to character, yeah? So, you know, the worst thing, thing for me might not be the worst thing for you or this character might not. And, and making Tilly a strap-on battle armor and, and march around shouting at people is, is possibly one of the worst things that you could do. <laughs> so it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And, um, and of course, the, the actress is just is phenomenal. Took that part and absolutely made it sing. The writers must have been delighted. Um, I, I, I mean, you could, you can see that they were just so so phenomenal um and just what you want from star trek it's always those uh characters isn't it it's like my obsession with garrick you're kind of going yeah there's those guys at the front but who's that one just to one side because they're brilliant mm-hmm. and and tilly mm-hmm. tilly's just like that i mean a character more unlike garrick i can't think of but uh, a similar sort of thing she's quite close to esri dax in many ways she's a, the sort of prototype there um but uh yeah she's great well and the other she thing that great. uh the other thing that Tilly does on the show, you know, we always talk about how representation matters. And of course, mm. Star Trek has, has, you know, expanded its use of people of color and mm. sexual orientation and stuff. But I find Tilly to be in that same category because, you know, mm. I'm a little awkward. Uh, I might have mm. uh, social situations that don't work for me all the time. And I feel like she represents somebody that has not been represented before. I mean, maybe you could argue somebody like a Barkley perhaps, mm. but, but, uh, but I feel like she is a unique character that hasn't existed in the franchise before. Yeah, I'm losing you a little bit there, but, but yeah, that she's, uh, she's the kind of character that we, we don't see, uh, we haven't seen before. I completely agree. Um, she's, uh, uh, yeah, she's got, she's anxious, she's often uncomfortable, but um, she's great. And uh, before oh, we run out of time, oh, I want to I want to get Ken in here be, uh, before because uh, I know Ken wants to ask a question too. Ken, are you still there? Oh yeah, now, I'm hang, still there. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm sort of I'm just losing sound a little bit here. We got uh uh um your voices are breaking up a little bit, so we can still hear you. Uh-oh. Gotta be a bit clear. Uh, okay, actually, we're going to sort of swing the pendulum back to some of your other uh, non-Star Trek and, and other science fiction books, uh, I basically mm-hmm. have two questions uh, because I'm a, sort of a technical question because I also have done writing, although I'm not published yet. Um, first question, uh, when you're writing, do you actually see what you're writing in your head? Does it play out? almost like a movie in your brain when you're working on a story. We, uh, we lost, we lost Una guys. Oh no. Okay. Well, hopefully Uh, she can call back in. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) Oh, she uh, she dropped out. Talking to you. She's having insurance. So I don't know. Maybe she lost the link. Oh, heavens! I was getting on the run. Uh, We'll see if she comes. If she comes back, we we have about 22 minutes left. Hopefully, she'll be able to uh, to get back on because we wanted to talk a little about Star Trek Picard. As I said, I just picked up the book and I'm looking forward to reading it. 
And I know Eric and Charles read it, so I actually just ordered it on Amazon as we were talking. Uh, (laughs) Click so. You know. Anyways, while while we're waiting to see if she can get back on again, uh, let's talk a little bit about the book. As I said earlier, I love the way it started with the conversation. Because I was, I think I was with Eric. I was like, well, how, how interesting is a book going to be a family drama? That's not really something I associate with Star Trek. And after reading these awesome Lorca books and, uh, you know, Kirk and all these exciting things and phaser battles and Tholians and Spock and everything else, you know, how is a family-orientated book really going to fit into this? But you know what? It does. It's, it's yeah. phenomenal. Well, I, know, I, I Jim, can't, I I can't say reason, enough about it. The reason is that if you go back to many, many people's favorite episodes of Star Trek, most of the really, really good episodes that people pull out are, are stories that are very intimate character stories. I mean, I think about, for example, the inner light, right? They're like two characters, two major characters in an hour long episode. And yet, that episode is absolutely riveting, right? It just keeps you glued to the tube. So I think that what a lot of science fiction readers really like, at least what I like, is I like to have a little bit of the epic. I like the societal stuff. I like kind of big moving parts. But if you don't have characters that are likable and you can't get into, then your story's not really going to be that great. Well, yeah, also, all, I mean, characters. Characters in characters in general have to be more than one dimensional. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, if you find a character that's far too simple, uh, you get turned off by them. So it, it does. It takes it takes a lot of effort to make sure that you can make your characters breathe mm-hmm. and, to a certain extent, be possible if if, if possible uh, understand that. You're sort of like looking when you're writing a book. You're sort of like looking at the lens, and it, it's difficult to explain. But it's kind of like uh, your sort. It's kind of like their reality in a book is a reality, your own internal reality within that book. Mm-hmm. Within yeah, sure. that book. They are alive, and they yeah. act as they're alive, and they do things and say things as they're alive. And you have to, when you're writing a character, you have to be listening to that, and you have to make sure that what you're having characters do is something that makes sense, and in what they do. Well, yeah, Ken, and I think the most listen. successful ones probably take something that's internal to that character and expose it. So, for example, in this book, you've got Tilly, and we all kind of know she's uncomfortable, and she's got an overbearing mom and stuff. But they, they turn her inside out in this book and really give us a lot of information, and that, therefore, draws us deeper into the story. Oh, yeah. You know, okay. we We've got we've got Una back online now, so uh, we can continue with your question. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> hi. The, now I'm going to warn you now. You're you're still breaking up, so uh, I might cut out at any minutes. But um, uh, let's see how we go. I said it's pretty good for a transatlantic call, I think. But um, mm-hmm. uh, let, I, I think let's so. see. 
Have we got te- okay. a so tech Ken, goal, to, actually? I'll try to if rapid can... fire again like we're on a uh, game program. Uh, when you're writing, do you see what you're writing in your head like a movie, like a film? Do you visualize as you're putting the words on the page? Um or are you just necessarily just sitting down at the typewriter and writing? Okay, guys, I've got to say, I'm I, I'm just about hearing you. Have you got a text box that you could um, you could sort of type questions and then I can uh, maybe I can respond to them? Um, sort of, if one of you types them up while one of you's asking them, you were but you were asking me, I think, about visualizing. I was asking about when you write. Do you visualize what you're writing in your head as you're writing it? Okay, right. Do I visualize it? No, absolutely not. It's the complete opposite, actually. Um, I'm, I've, I've got practically no visual imagination. It's, uh, I, I always joke about this, that I hear voices. Yeah, I think other people um, see films running in front of their eyes, um, but I hear dialogue. I hear characters. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons I, I, I like writing a lot of dialogue I like writing internal narration. I like writing first person. But it's very much uh, the characters that I hear. To the extent that uh, I can barely write description at all, I kind of go, there's a room, there's a there's a door. <laughs> so, uh, and it's not uh, really And also, sort of a, sort of a summer-related question, uh, and especially, like I say, with more of your books that don't necessarily have... Uh, known characters do you try to find pictures or or photographs of what you think your characters look like as a as a help or an aid to have them have you see them a little bit more clear i guess um this is probably one reason that i kind of uh, gravitated towards writing tv tie-in fiction is that often you're writing people that you know that the person reading your book will be able just to picture in their head, yeah? Because they're kind of plugging in what they've got on screen. Um, and the same with the settings. You know, if I say they went down to the bridge, then you've immediately got an image in your mind. Um, when it comes to people that I'm uh, uh, kind of... Some pe- maybe people like Ian or um, Adele uh, or Quinn, I might have a, an actor in mind. So uh, not always... But I mean, Quinn is Gabriel Byrne, obviously. So I've got him cast. So now I yeah, know because how a writer is. friend turned me on to the use of what I call avatars, which is like character pictures, uh, as a means yeah. first of all of keeping them all straight. And again, it, it's it's plus it also helps you remember what it is you thought that they looked like too. Um, yeah. It, it it makes the process a little bit more easier uh, if you again if you have something that you could reference. Um, so again, I'm, I'm getting time. older. I'm, I'm in my 60s now. I do find that I need more and more notes. So having these pictures and having I have two binders full of notes. Uh, having all that material available kind of makes sure that I could sort of keep on and yeah. don't drift much. I might have a uh, so I mean I, I you know I I kind of had Gabriel Byrne in mind for Quinn, but with with Ian, for example, and Adele, I don't think I had anyone particular in mind. I had a kind of faint sense of who of who they might look like. Um, but it was really voice, uh, particularly with Ian. I could hear his voice absolutely in my head. I just, I know exactly how he sounds and 
you know, where, where he pauses and, and Adele too, to some extent. So um, it was that I really wanted to capture. I think if you've got somebody's voice, uh, people, people plug in someone that they know. Yeah. So there's probably someone that, you know, who's a bit like, like Ian, maybe you kind of get a picture of that in your mind. So I, I really feel character is, is character is key. Voice is key. Um, And if I've got that, then, then usually everything else slots into place. Um, So I, I know that I fudge description a lot, um, but, uh, but, but hopefully the voice covers the kind of sins. (laughs) But I think it's great because being on Star Trek, like you said, when, when you say the bridge, we all know what, what these different things are. Mm. And uh, let's see, we have a caller on the line here. I can get it to answer. Hi, thanks for calling. You have a question? Yeah. Um, hi. Uh, what What was your inspiration for wanting to center a book around Tilly from Star Trek Discovery? Did you just like her her character as a whole, or did you were you inspired by what she looked like in the Mirror Universe? Because I think Tilly is a very vital character of Discovery, and she's one of my favorite besides Saru. So uh, I was. They they came to me and uh, uh, the the folks at um, the folks at sort of uh, gallery books, Simon and Schuster, and said we mm-hmm. the next the next discovery book is coming. We want it to be about Tilly. We'd like you to write it. And I absolutely jumped uh, at the chance um, because mm-hmm. uh, I I thought I I thought she was the standout character. She you know she walks mm-hmm. on screen and and you're. You're with her. You're laughing with her. You're rooting for her. Your toes are curling when she puts her foot in it. So when I was offered that book, I was I was straight in. Um, uh, mm-hmm. it, it just seemed a perfect fit for me. And then when we kind of settled mm-hmm. on making it a, a, a you know a young woman's coming of age, well, I, I was just I was you know cat that got the cream, absolutely perfect for me. So um, so that was that was it. They came to me and I said yes straight away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. So before we run out of time, though, I want to talk a little bit about Star Trek Picard, which I didn't mm. read, but Eric and Charles did. And I think Eric has a question or two for you about Picard. Mm. Yeah, still there, I, I sure do. Yeah, I'm still here. Um, so, yeah, I do have a couple questions because I, of course, found that book also fascinating. And I feel like it just really did a good job of filling in all the stuff that the show didn't really have a chance to deliver for us. Um, but in terms of the actual writing in the book itself, you know, I'm struck by the kind of juxtaposition I was talking earlier about intimate stories versus massive ep- epic scale stories. And I feel like Last Best Hope crosses that, you know, we obviously the, the whole backdrop is an epic story and yet you get more about all of these characters um, throughout the whole thing. And so with that in mind, um, I just kind of wanted to ask your opinion about this and there's, you know, this isn't really necessarily about the book, but it's about Picard and this whole deal mm-hmm. of having to save 900 million Romulans from their, from their home planet. You know, I think some people on the internet have done some math and figured out exactly how long that would take. And it, and it seems like a fairly hopeless task. And so my question to you is, do you think that Picard actually believed that he could save all the Romulans when he started this thing? 
or did he just kind of keep trucking forward because that was the right thing to do? I I believe that he believed he could do it. I think mm-hmm. he did. I think he. I, I think the it's it's a it's a tragedy in its purest sense, which is that it, it must involve overreaching and and hubris, um, and I I don't think it necessarily involves pride. Perhaps is what perhaps stops it being a complete Greek tragedy, but he. He he overreaches not his own capacity, but the capacity for what the people around him can bear, um, and that's why he completely, to my mind, is why he misreads the situation. He's the most, mm. the most human of us all. He's 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 the sort of apotheosis of a of a of a of a federation citizen, and um, the people around him can't quite match up to the depth of his ability and the demands that that this task takes um so i i believe he believes that that he can do it and and i think very 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 gifted people um sometimes do overestimate others uh in many ways um and maybe he overestimates himself as well um so it it should feel like a tragedy um mm-hmm. It should it should feel like uh, a flaw in not in his in his personality, but in his vision or his understanding. It's a, it's a real, and then and then when he realizes that, it's quite it's it's a crippling blow. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a quite a hard book. Emotionally, it was quite hard. It, it actually wrote itself very very well. Um, that that was quite a hard thing to. It's quite a melancholy book, I think, because it has to end in failure, because that's where the where the show comes in. Um, well, and that, so that's, that was my second question: was what was it like to write a book where you necessarily know the ending? You know, you everybody knows the ending. Everybody who reads the book knows the ending. Does that change the way that you approach the book? Um, it's it's almost a almost a gift in a way that you're 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 sort of asked to to do the prequel to something. Um, do I still have you guys? Hello? Yeah, absolutely. We're here. Yep. Oh, we're good. oh, good. You're there. Great. Sorry. Oh, it went very quiet, so I, I won't. We'd sort of been cut out again. It, it's something of a nope, gift. No, we're here. Uh, in that <laughs> you sort of um, you know what you, uh, you. First of all, you've got the you've got the ending. You, you've got things mapped <laughs> out for you, but you're able to imbue it with a sort of particularly as it as it was a tragedy. You're you're able to sort of imbue it with a more of a sense of doom or inevitability and, and play with that and get your suspense in other ways, uh, I think, because you can't get suspense from uh, the unfolding of the plot because people know where it's going. So you have to get emotional payoff from that. People know how it's ending, so you have to use that knowledge to give the story power. And it's from Picard not knowing where the story is ending um, mm. that, that hopefully the story gets its power. We can see where it's going he can't, um, and and that hopefully uh, adds to the book. So uh, uh, to some extent, we know where I guess where Tilly's story is going, because uh, that's a prequel story as well. It's very very different in tone, um, but 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 similar similar sorts of um, things that you have to do as a writer. Use that foreknowledge mm-hmm. to give your own story power. Uh, so I'm watching a lot of Star Wars at the moment with my little girl. So I'm sitting watching the prequel uh, 
movies going, oh, I wouldn't have done it like that. Oh, I wouldn't have done it like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we all think of that. Of course. We all do that. Yes, I was going to say. That's, that's exactly that. Standard, yeah. uh, <laughs> practice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just have to tell you that the Picard book, I think really – it, the thing I like about it is that little by little you see the way that Picard is eroded by this yeah. whole situation. Mm-hmm. And you see somebody who has always been just completely full of hope and, you know, really believes in the ideals of the Federation and really believes in what he's doing mm-hmm. start to just run up against people that he can't just run over anymore, right? <laughs> he, yeah. really, he, has, yeah. he, like, suddenly has to realize that society has a say in things. Yeah. And you're right, it's his hubris that, that, that does that for him. So, yeah. you know, your, your book kind of details how he is broken down, and then the show kind of shows how he is put back together. So I think more than yeah. any other book that I've read personally, I think this is an absolute necessary companion uh, to the show. I think if you love the show, you've got to read the book. That's really kind. Thank you very much. Because uh, when I was working on this, you obviously you're very lucky when you're working on things like this. You get you get to, you get to see the scripts and this kind of thing. And I'm reading the scripts going, these are just incredible. And I, I hope I can do this show justice. Uh, so to, to feel that, it, to hear that it kind of works well, uh, it's very gratifying. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, great book. Charles, do you have anything you wanted to ask about last episode? Yes, I was, I was going to jump in and say, one of the characters that I loved in the Picard book, and we really didn't get to know as well as we could have, was Raffi. Mm-hmm. Most people it's like, oh, we, she, call, she calls him JL. And mm-hmm. we don't just really understand why. And yet in this book, we know why she does it. <laughs> and we know why she has such a big breakdown. In the Picard series, but what about the fact that the character Raffi and what she got to do with her? Um, I I really enjoyed I enjoyed in the right I I it was Raffi was a really good character to write. I was um, when I was writing this book, it was the summer holiday. Um, my my daughter was off school, and every morning I would go. I'm sorry, I can't go and do this fun thing. I have to go and write my book. So <laughs> there's quite a lot of that in Raffi, the kind of the kind of guilt of parenting when you say, oh, I can't yeah. come and do the fun thing. I've got to go off and do do this thing. And I, I, I put some of that feeling and emotion into Raffi and um, uh, and that sort of regret and, and loss. And, and that, I think, is because the stakes are so much um, bigger for her. Uh, you know, I was I was writing a book and I, I needed to get that deadline in. But, you know, she's she's involved in this huge mission to save lives. But I was I tried to channel some of that emotion and feeling and um, and how it must feel when the stakes feel so high. And that, and that leads to Rafi's dis- desperation um, that I think we feel uh, coming through her more and more. This has to work because she's bet everything on it. And then when the bet doesn't pay off, it's it's absolutely crushing. Uh, she's a great character. Um, a lot of fun to write and I like the idea of, of someone sort of she's got no skin in the game she's not one of the Enterprise crew uh, what she got you know she knows none of those uh, relationships she just comes in and calls him JL and he loves it it's refreshing it's completely different you know, it's new mission new ship new captain new nickname <laughs> and I love that he lets her get away with it I mean he doesn't even try and yeah. stop her yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, 
more ultimate question was, how did it feel to be the first one to write a book for the Bricard series? And the great return of Patrick Stewart to the, to the television screen. Oh no, hang on! I, do, I didn't get uh, could any I didn't get any of that. Your line isn't so great. Could could one of you other guys just repeat that for me? Because uh, that broke up quite a bit. What was that question? Yeah, I think Charles was asking what it was like to actually write the first book in kind of a new franchise here, with Picard being a brand new show and yours being the first book. How did that feel? Oh, guys, I just honestly, I it was just phenomenal. It was just it, it was one of the best writing experiences of my life. It was. Uh, it was so exciting, a, a, a franchise like that, a Star Trek Picard, uh, and you know, the, there's all this, there's this great stable of writers, uh, and they come and ask me to do it. I, I, it's so it's incredibly flattering, and um, I, I poured everything into that book, um, and I, I hope people liked it. That's that's all. That I, it was an absolute joy, a real privilege to write it, and um, just a delight that uh, people people seem to have liked it. So just wonderful, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. I haven't read it, but I loved, loved The Way to the Stars, so I'm looking forward to reading Picard. And I just wanted to say one one quick thing before we run out of time mm-hmm. here. I mm-hmm. love the way you ended the book with Tilly writing letters to all the characters mm-hmm. that we ran into through the novel. I thought that was a great way to end it. And I wonder if any of those characters ever got back to her later on or maybe a short track or something. Maybe we'll hear a mention of any of these characters. I don't know. Oh, oh that would be really fun, wouldn't it? I think that would be, uh, that would be lots of fun, but uh, we'll see. I'd love to know what Salah's up to uh, and, her, and her school friends as well. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think Salah's much the same, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad yeah, that it was... it's like a, it's like one of those things, you know, when, when people have, have, have sort of, you know, they go, they look back on the life and they, they write letters of apologies to everyone they've harmed. It's a sort of a, a more joyful version of that. Thank you for the thing you taught me or, uh, you know, sorry mm-hmm. I was horrible in class, So, uh, but she gets there a bit <laughs> sooner and, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a great way to end it and then, and then it swings right back around to her and Burnham and Burnham has her make that phone call. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. where, that's where we leave it. And, I loved it. I thought it was a great book. Thank you so much for bringing that book to life for us. And thank you for spending some time with us today to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure, guys. I'm sorry we had that sort of little hiatus, but uh, that's, uh, that's the magic of live radio, isn't it? So, uh, but uh, mm, really that wonderful question, too. Thank you very much. <laughs> and before we go, are you working on any new projects or anything current that you can tell us about? Mm, well, the, the exciting thing that's coming, and it's it's been quite it's been delayed, uh, but uh, hopefully we've got the date now. Is I've uh, written the autobiography of Catherine Janeway, uh, and that's coming out at the oh. end of October. Uh, oh wow! So, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. It's sort of a, a, a published. Obviously, things have been very difficult over this year, and it, it's sort of been delayed. It was going to come out earlier in the year, and then you know it slipped a bit because distribution issues and that kind of thing. But it's it's slated for the end of October, and I'm super excited. I can't wait. It's uh, really excited about it coming out. So that's coming soon. Uh, so that's that's oh. a kind of big project. Uh, and then I've got Doctor Who novel out in December as well. It's the um, the big Doctor Who project that's on at the moment, titled Victorious, and um, I've got the kind of uh, there are two novels, and mine's the second one. So the first one's just out uh, by Steve Cole, um, 
the Dightly Fool and the Dead. Um, my Doctor Who book is out in December, just in time for Christmas, and that's called All Flesh is Grass. Uh, points to anyone who recognises that. So, um, so yeah, we've got Janeway and then uh, Doctor Who. That's the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, that's for fantastic. Doctor Who, uh, I've got to say that Tom Baker was really my doctor, but these guys got yeah. me into Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. And I've been yeah. we've been watching that and reviewing this in the podcast, and I really enjoyed Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. And you know, yeah. what? we'll have to have you yeah. back on to talk about Catherine Janeway's autobiography. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to come back and chat with us, again. I would absolutely love to. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll find out what the gremlins were and uh, and sort out the phone line. But uh, I'm really excited about it. So keep an eye out for that one, guys. That was that was huge fun. And Kate Mulgrew tweeted about it as well. So uh, very. Well, Ona, thank you very much for talking with us uh, this afternoon, this night, tonight. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and, and away from your family to talk with us. Thank you very, very much. Absolutely. You, my pleasure, guys. Thanks very much. They're wonderful questions. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to, uh, to Ken and Charles and Eric for hanging out and talking with us tonight about uh, this afternoon about Star Trek Discovery, The Way to the Stars. Thank you very much, guys. You bet. Oh, thank you. And uh, we will be back with you guys on Thursday night for another episode of Trek Talking, same bat time, same bat channel, talking about Star Trek Lower Decks season finale. If you guys want to check that out, and head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Like and follow us there so you never miss any of our shows. And you can also follow us at Blog Talk Radio backslash Trek Talking, and you can check out all of our previous podcasts. So. With that, I'm going to say thank you very much to everybody that's listening. Stay safe. Be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Goodbye, everybody. Good night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Hey, kiddo. What's your favorite song? What? Your favorite song? Sing it for me. So I've passed 100,000 miles I'm feeling very still And I think my spaceship knows which way to go Tell my wife I love her very much She knows (laughs) Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.